Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. The 15th chapter of the book of Exodus. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Word. We thank you, dear Father God, that you have unveiled to us your great divine plan of salvation and redemption of the human race. We now, Father God, put ourselves into a position that we will cooperate with you in your great plan of redemption to yield ourselves vessels unto you, dear Father God, to channel your word throughout the earth, your love, your power, your mercy, and your grace, so that we, through your word, may turn men's hearts from the power of Satan and darkness unto the power of light and love. We thank you that as this word goes forth in demonstration of the spirit and of power, it will do just that. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I thank you for it. And amen. Amen. The 15th chapter of the book of Exodus. Well, as I begin studying and meditating along the lines of divine healing, which you know Wednesday night services we have turned over to the subject of divine healing. And uh, the reason being, we said that there are two great subjects that we need to be interested in in the Bible. Now, I thank God for the other subjects of the Bible. I praise God for the book of Revelation. I praise God for the rapture of the church. I praise God for all that He did in the Old Testament and how He dealt with the people. But if there are two great subjects of the Bible that you and I need to be head over heels about, number one is the deliverance from sin and the bondage of Satan in our spirits. And number two is our deliverance from sickness and diseases that are ever trying to attach themselves to our bodies because that cross stands for, number one, He took our sins, and number two, He took our sicknesses. And if the Father God put those two things together and called that His plan, His great plan of redemption, then I think it'll be, we do Him a great justice by studying these two subjects of the Bible and being thorough in it. I believe that we can live free from sin and we can live free from sickness and disease, and that's the Father's goal in every Christian's life. When you start living free from sin and free from sickness, you're going to be a shining light unto the world. Amen. When you know how to contact the lightnings of God from heaven and, and let walk in perfect health before your, the people that are in the earth, they're going to stand up and take notice that you've got something greater than what they've got. And if the Father God thought that it was so important that Jesus had to be the one to take sickness and disease away from us, then it's important that you and I study and know how to walk free from it. Because that's what His body represents. He, in His own body, bore our sins. That we, being dead to sin, number one, should live under righteousness... And with his stripes, you and I were healed. Now, as I was meditating, as I said, the Spirit of God bore witness with my spirit that uh, our efforts in teaching this subject have basically or mainly been going towards those that are sick and dealing with those that are afflicted. And uh, I got a check in my spirit. And I had the witness to teach uh, the other side. I mean, that's one side that we should teach from. But it seems like most of our teaching along the lines of divine healing is an effort to get somebody healed. Trying to teach somebody how to get healed. Okay? But the Spirit of God said to me, there's a twofold work of healing in the human body. Number one, if you are sick, then there is a message to the sick. You need to get healed. If you are well, if you are healed, there is a message to the healed. You need to stay well. There's a twofold working. Number one, if you're sick, you can be healed. Bless God. Number two, if you are healed, you can stay well. Bless God. And live and walk in divine health. And Jesus is God's way of healing. You know that? And He is God's way of power to promote health. As you know, our brother Wright wrote that book, and I believe it's a good book that you should study. Amen? Okay, here we see in the 15th chapter of the book of Exodus, and verse 26, the Father making a covenant with Israel. And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. He reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Well, 
Actually, there's a twofold working here we can see in this scripture. He's the Lord that heals them, but he also said, and I like to use this translation, and if you have any misunderstanding of Bible interpretation, it's very important that you understand this general rule. You always interpret the Old Testament in light of the New. You never interpret the New in light of the Old. Now, people read this, and when they read over that, they come up to this area where it says, And God put all, I won't put on these, you, these sicknesses or diseases that I put on the Egyptians. Well, God did no such thing. Back when this was translated, and if you have a Young's Concordance, you'll find out in Young's uh, interpretation of the Bible, being a Greek scholar, he said that in Bible interpretation, Greek and Hebrew, he said when that was written, they put it in the causative tense instead of in the permissive tense. And there's a difference between being the cause of something and permitting something. Now, this puts God as being the cause. But even in most Hebrew scholars will also agree that it should have been in the permissive tense, not in the causative tense. But there was no permissive tense to change it into our, you know, dialect. So, consequently, we have God as being the author of it or God being the cause of it when all it was really saying was, I won't allow to come on you the diseases that came on the Egyptians. And I'm going to show you that in light of the New Testament, we find out exactly who the one was that caused it. The destroyer. The devil. Satan. The enemy. But remember, the Bible is progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. In other words, they only knew so much about God. And then, praise God, they learned a little bit more about God. Then when Jesus came, he taught more about God. But on the day of Pentecost, bless God, Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth has come, even the things you don't understand, he's going to come and unveil, unfold them, and reveal them, and declare all that the Father is unto you. And if you want to find out what the Father is doing, what he did in the past, what he's doing in for you right now, then bless God, you've got to find it in the New Testament. Because the Bible says, Paul, writing in the New Testament, says, this mystery that was hid from the foundations of the world, God has revealed from to me to give to you. Why in the world would anybody want to interpret the Bible in light of the Old Testament, not the New? It's beyond me. Now, I'll explain that further as we go along. So here, what he's actually saying is, I'm not going to allow any of the diseases or the sicknesses that came on the Egyptians, I won't allow them to come on you, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. In other words, there's a twofold effect. I'll heal you. And I will not allow sickness nor disease to come upon you. So if you are the sick, wanting to be well, then my message to you is, He is the Lord that healeth thee. If you are the healed, wanting to stay well, then my message to you is, that if you obey His statutes, keep His judgments, and walk in the light of His word, then He won't allow sickness or disease to live or attach itself to your body. Now, we're going to find out as we go along in our study that there are certain laws that we have to abide by. These things are not automatic. They don't fall out of the sky or out of trees like ripe cherries off a tree. No, you've got to understand what the, God's program is concerning this. Well, I, I think because we have only emphasized the, the part that, you know, God will heal you, you can be healed by God, I, I think here's what we have produced or created in the body of Christ. You've got people that believe in the subject of divine healing and that God can heal and will heal. And so consequently, they get their healing. But because we're only teaching the people how to get healed, it seems as though the same people that get healed go off and then after a while they get sick again. And after they get sick again, then they fall into the category of the sick trying to get healed. And then, praise God, we preach the word for healing for them again and they know they can be healed by God and they follow, you know, God's program and they get healed again. But as soon as they get healed again, they go for a little bit, you know, of time, a period of time. And then the next thing you know again, sickness comes upon them again. And I think Dr. Lillian B. Yeoman said this. It's never failed. Every time I have taught the great subject of divine healing, it seems like the people that were out there would get restless and fall asleep on me. I don't know why she said it is. That when people hear this great subject of divine healing, for some reason they don't seem... To get enthused or excited about it. And as I thought about what she said, the Spirit of God dealt with my spirit and, and revealed this to me. That the reason being, we're only dealing with that person that's trying to get well. And the other ones that are already well, they're not being fed beyond, you know, the fact that God heals 
to teach them how they can remain well, stay well, and refuse to allow that sickness or disease upon their bodies. So what I'm going to do is hit it from both standpoints, both points of view. We're going to look at them both. And like I said, our message will be to the sick, you can be healed, and it'll be to the well, how to stay well. And as I studied God's Word, He gives you a program in His Word. He gives you steps in His Word, instruction in His Word, how we can walk free from sickness, free from disease, and walk in perpetual health. That's His program for our lives. You know, and the sooner we fall into that, and the sooner we get into that, and the sooner we start operating in that, the better of a witness you're going to be to the world. Amen? And He's going to be able to use you in the deliverance of others in a greater way. Okay? Another scripture is found in Exodus, the 23rd chapter. Let's reassure and reconfirm what we're saying. To show you that there are two sides. While you're looking, I just want to mention something that Brother, I should say Dr. Kenneth Hagin, had said in uh, one of the articles. Uh, a writer from the Arrow, Word of Faith Bible College in Texas, was interviewing Dr. Hagin and he asked him concerning his divine health. And uh, Brother Hagin responded and said, I attribute my walk of divine health for these 40-odd years or 50 years, whatever, how many years it is, to a very close walk with the Father. To a very close walk with the Heavenly Father. Now, I know how your minds are just clicking on right now and off right now and saying, well, how do you walk this close walk to the Father? How come no one teaches along the lines of how do I walk a close walk to the Father? How do I be able to walk the walk that he's, ta he's talking about? I remember hearing one, uh, about one individual that said, wouldn't you just like to be a little mouse in the house of Kenneth E. Hagin? Just to find out what he's doing and what he does, how he prays, the kind of life he lives. Well, you know, I can understand what, you know, that person was trying to get across. But I think I would prefer to be a son of God in the Father's throne room. As opposed to being a little mouse in the house of Kenneth E. Hagin. Because I believe the Word of God reveals to us how to dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. How to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That he may be to us a refuge, a fortress, our God, in whom we can put our trust to deliver us from every snare of the fowler, from every noisome pestilence. And under his truth will his wings and his truth shall be our buckler and shield. And we're not going to be afraid of any terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day, or the pestilence that walk in the darkness, or any destruction that comes our way at noonday. And even when a thousand fall at our side and our right hand, ten thousand, it won't come nigh you and me. Because we'll learn how to dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. Now, that's where I want to be, don't you? See, we don't have to, you know, I thank God for what everybody has, the input they have given in the Christian living. And I thank God for it, and I believe that they are men to be, you know, are examples. Paul said, be followers of me as I am of Christ. And I believe he, you know, he, his life that he lived was a life that we could follow. But let me say a statement even better than that. People, I think, get a little bit uptight when you start saying about, you know, living like Jesus or walking like Jesus did. But I want you to know something. Jesus never proclaimed when He was here on the earth that what He did, He did of Himself. He never claimed that all the things that took place under His ministry were results, direct results of Himself. He said, I want you to know that all that I've said, all that I've done, every work that has taken place under my ministry is not my word, is not my saying, but it's of the Father that sent me. I am imitating the Father. You want to imitate somebody, beloved, imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't be ashamed to say that I can walk as the Son of God. 1 John 2 6 says that he that saith he abideth in him ought himself or owes it to him to walk even as, he, even as Jesus walked. Right. Now, we are to imitate the Father. Now, look at this scripture here. In the 23rd chapter in verse 25. And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I will, I will take away, take sickness away from the midst of you. Not only is he the Lord that healeth thee, but he is the Lord that taketh away sickness 
from the midst of you. It stands the reason that if this is in the great plan of redemption and the church is not walking in light of it, it's because the Word is not going forth in demonstration of it. And it's time we begin to walk in the light of the Word that says He is our healer, He is our protector from every germ, every sickness, and every disease that can attempt to attach itself to our bodies. Our trust is in Him. Because the Word declares it to be so. One more scripture, Deuteronomy the 7th chapter and verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 15. Here, again, just to give you the mouth of two or three witnesses. Verse 15 says, And the Lord will, and the Lord will, He will, take away from you all sickness. All Sickness. Well, I like that so much. Let's say it again. All sickness. And the Lord will. Did you ever hear him say he was going to do something that he wouldn't do? Well, I believe that if he said it, he meant it. And if he meant it, he said it. Right? That's why I said it, because he meant it. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and won't allow any of the evil diseases of Egypt which you knew of upon you but will lay them or allow them to be put upon all them that hate you. Okay? Now, I think I have to say this right here. I mean, that's enough to get you shine. That's enough to make you just come out of your body and just float off and then just say, Glory be to Father God. I mean, you know, if you weren't tied down to this earthly body, you could just, just float off and just, just glorify God. Hallelujah. But, I mean, you think about all that he said he was going to do for the Israelites. And we understand that that's under the old covenant blessing. But you and I have a better covenant established upon better promises. According to Hebrews 8 and 6. Now the mind has to get out of the way. When you come across the line, the dividing line between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, you come across that transitional period when Jesus came and spoke the Word when He was here on the earth. If you thought their minds were baffled back then when God was going to do all these things for them, I mean, you read these things are phenomenal. That 23rd chapter, we'll look at it again in a minute. But what he said he would do, he was raising up a utopia in Canaan's land. A dreamland. A fairy tale, it seemed like to the world. A land where no sickness lives. A land where every woman will have a child. No barren in the land. Even among not only your, your human race, even among the animal race. Nothing. Everyone. You see, healthy and whole. Walking in the light of my love. Being fed by my bread. Everything that you could possibly imagine and possibly want. The Father God would say, I'm going to take you to a place in me that I can be unto you a father and a God. You talk about somebody. I know what I would do for my child if I had the ability, if I had the power, if I had the strength of God. I would take the shadow of my wing and I'd put it over my little kids and I'd cover them underneath that wing. And if there was sickness or disease germs that ever tried to come their way, I'd stand against every one of them and knock them in the head. I'd make sure that none of them could attest themselves to my babies. But as a human being, I don't have that power. These are unseen forces of darkness that are infiltrating the air and they're trying to get into your body. They're trying to get into my body. These are forces of darkness designed by Satan to come against you and to come against me. And I mean, he, is just, he just keeps on penetrating and penetrating and coming at you and coming at you. He's not stopping. He don't care. He's uncouth. He's not going to stop. He's just coming at you as much as he can, as fast as he can, as hard as he can to destroy your life. That's how much he hates you. But I'll tell you something right now. I've learned a secret. I don't have to be on the defense. 
I don't have to be sit back back there and turn my cheek to the devil. He told me to ch- turn my cheek to you, not to the devil. I don't have to sit back and watch him throw blow after blow after blow after blow against my spirit, against my soul, against my body. I can tip the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and I can get myself in line with God's program, and I can put up that shield of faith, and I can look that devil right in the eye and tell him that I have got a shield that quenches every fiery dart. And next time he comes after me or after my kids, he's going to have to look Jesus in the eye because I'm coming at him with the word. And bless God, I'm not going to be on the defense. I'm going to be on the offense. And that offense includes speaking the word at the devil and putting him in his place, making him run. You know, I don't believe we should be defeated by the devil. I don't believe we should stand in a position. And the reason why I say that, again, I don't believe that any Christian testimony should be this. The work that Satan did in the heart of man when man fell is greater than the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did in man's heart when he rose again. I don't believe that. I never did believe that. I won't believe that for a minute. But if we're down and defeated in life, if it seems as though that, that you, know, you just can't escape it, you just take a hold of what I just said. You think about it you meditate on it. You let it sink down into your ears. You let it get down into your spirit. And you just lay in the presence of the Father God and let the Spirit of God quicken that in your heart. Satan's work in the heart of man is not greater than the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you put that guy under your feet where he belongs and let him stay there. Amen. Well, now... I think before we go any further in this, go back to your first scripture. Let's go back to the first scripture. This is very important, what I want to bring out. The, um, the germs, the diseases, and all the forces of darkness that are coming against us, the curse that's in the earth, all the enemies of man that are trying to destroy him, you understand, came into existence and into being because of the fall of Adam. And you realize that because they're out there and they have turned against man, animals were not against man in creation. A lion would not eat you for lunch, you know, in the garden. But after the fall, you better climb up a tree. Right? And all the germs and all the diseases is nothing more than a perversion of what God created in the beginning. They were perverted. They were turned to fear. Fear fear began to rule in the animal kingdom. And consequently, they all turned against man. For some reason, I seem to think that even the creation knows that it was man that caused them to be in their position. And that's why I believe that all of creation cried out, Hosanna to God in the highest. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem and was, you know, risen from the dead, raised up from the dead, and the graves burst open, the earth, you know, blew open, the mountains shook, the rocks began to fall, because they knew that a man redeemed them. And they knew that because of that resurrection, I believe that God's creation knows. And they're groaning with travail right now until the manifestation of the sons of God have come into being. They know. They know. They don't want to live under that curse any more than you or I do. Amen. They don't want to. But because all these things are out there, God had to, being on the outside, looking in. Now remember this. Satan became the God of this world. God is on the outside looking in. I'm talking about the old covenant right now. He's on the outside, he's looking in, and he's looking through an atmosphere of darkness. We are, the Bible says that we're battling against our warfare is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness that's in this layer of the heavenlies, this, this here layer of the heavenlies above us. This atmosphere is filled with all these germs, diseases, and forces of darkness that are arrayed against us. And now, here under this old covenant, they are not only living in that atmosphere, but also spiritual death is lodged in their heart. Now, the Father had no legal right to come into the earth, the realm of, of Satan, and just, you know, just do what he wanted to do, just to do his own thing for his man, because man was under the dominion of Satan, the lordship of Satan. So what the Father had to do, he had to design a plan and, and set up rules, set up a, a system, whereby he would have a legal access 
to come and help anybody that would flow with his plan. And if a man would then follow his plan, then he had the ability and the way to enter into that person's life and protect him from these unseen forces. Now, if, if there was no protection of God, then I'll tell you what, then the curse was full upon, fully upon you. But when God devised his plan and gave these, these Jews away, the Israelites, to the Abrahamic covenant, he could bless them if. And if is a very big word in the Bible. Let's look at this scripture again, 1526. 20, we need to know, are there any conditions that are existing to allow God to fulfill what He said He wanted to do? He wanted to be the Lord that healeth them. He wanted to be the God that kept them from sickness and disease. We need to know, were there any demands placed upon the individual's life? Are there any demands placed upon my life? Or is this automatic? Does this just happen automatically? Because He is God. Because He is sovereign. As, as people misteach the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, yes. But God is also just and righteous, even to the devil. He will not lie to the devil. He spoke His word. He said the curse would be in existence. The curse came. Now listen to me. It sounds like the Father was the one that cursed it all. No. Don't even get that idea. Listen. The Father spoke to Adam and told him to partake of the tree, any tree, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In that day thou shalt surely die. God in His foreknowledge knew what curse death would bring upon the human race. If man submitted to the devil and allowed Satan to become Lord over his life, then he knew all that was going to take place. He knew everything that was going to happen to man. Now, because he did it, man is the cause of the curse. Man is the cause. You go back and honestly answer this question. Had he not sinned, would the curse be here? No. Who did it? Adam did it. He's the one to blame. So, realize this. The father had to work in this realm... Through his word, but in the beginning, he could not get his word in the earth like he did through Jesus Christ. He had to speak unto the fathers by the prophets. He had to get a hold of somebody's ear, speak to him audibly, because he couldn't live in his heart, and get a hold of somebody that would, would cooperate with him so that he can come back into the earth to bless humanity. And if you uh, read the first six chapters of the book of Genesis, when you get to the time of Noah, I always say thank God for Noah, because if it wasn't for Noah, no one would be here. Everybody be gone. Thank God somebody listened. Right? I mean, he says, I repent in my heart that I made man. Someone says, well, you know, God wanted it to be like this. God wanted everybody to be wicked in their hearts and, and disobey and go this way and go that way. No, he didn't. If he did, why would he say, it repented, I repent that I even made man? You think that, does that sound like somebody who wanted the program to go that way, that I repent that I even made man? Why would he make somebody that he repented of making, of, making him? He wouldn't do that. Okay. So here we are. We've got to understand it from this light. We've got to see why these things are all around us. And we've got to find out why God, even though He is sovereign, He cannot abuse His Word. He cannot lie. He cannot, you know, exert authority where He has none. Don't you remember that Jesus, when He rose, when, you know, rose up from the dead, didn't He say that all authority is given to me in heaven and earth? Well, if He had it before that, why would He have to come? He came to save that which was lost. Man lost authority and dominion in the earth and turned it over to the devil. And God had no way to get it back except through Jesus Christ. Okay, now here are the ifs, the ands, and the buts. Let's read them. And said, verse 26, if... You circle that word if. Someone says, oh, you don't need any, you know, to do anything to be healed. Well, does that line up with the program of God? If thou wilt diligently hearken... To the voice of the Lord thy God. Number one, diligent hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. Number two, will do that which is right in his sight. Number three, will give ear to his commandments. Number four, will put in, and keep all his statutes. Number four, there are four conditions he gave them. Then he said, I will. Sometimes I think we like to live in the I wills, but we don't like to, to live under the ifs. If you will, I will. God's program has been that from the beginning. If you will, I will. If you will, I will. So if you will do these four things, 
then I will be the Lord that healeth thee. And I will protect you from all germs of disease and sickness. You'll find the same thing in the 23rd chapter of the book of Exodus. As a matter of fact, it was a little bit different. This is the utopia I was talking about. Let's look at it. 23rd chapter. Here we find the reason and the purpose that they were delivered from Egyptian bondage. We find that the Father wanted to set up in Canaan's land a place where these Israelites could multiply and be a mighty nation. Any other way of deliverance, any other frame of reference, it would be a, a place where the only one that could help these people would be the Lord Jehovah. And He said to them, If you will do what I'm saying to you, then there will be in existence a land flowing with milk and honey where I will have a place to freely be your God and there's no force around us that has any place in us. And they can't come against us. I will legally be able to protect you from all sickness and disease. Let's read it. The sad thing about it is, is that it never came to pass because of their disobedience. That proves that the if and, and the but are in the Bible. Look at it. The Father doesn't, doesn't give His will out and then say, Ha ha, I was only fooling. He doesn't do that. Verse 20. Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Why would He prepare a place to destroy them in the wilderness? That wasn't His will. His will was that they go to a place that He prepared for them. Look at this place. Beware of Him. Obey His voice. See, I don't, have, I don't have time to get into this, but this is the ministry of angels. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not. You've got angels. Don't provoke them, angels. For he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. That angel bears the name of the Lord. When he comes to your door, door beloved, he comes bearing the name of the Lord. Okay, look, look at this. But if, 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 it's in the Bible. If you shall indeed obey His voice and do all, all, all that I speak, then I will. You see the I will? If you will, if you will, then I will. Notice the if you will comes first. Then I will. Okay? Here's what he says. Then I will be an enemy unto your enemies. I will be an adversary unto your adversaries. My angel shall go before you. You think you've got an angel. How would you like to have his angel? The angel of the Lord campeth round about those that fear him to deliver him. Okay? My angel shall go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break that down their images, and you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I will take, away, take sickness away from the midst of you. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land, and the number of thy days I will fulfill. Are you ready for this utopia? Germs don't live there. Diseases don't live there. It's unheard of to have a miscarriage. It's unheard of for your animals not to bear and produce. It's unheard of to have poverty because there's no such thing. A place in the earth where Jehovah shall be the God that He wanted to be to the Israelites. A perfect place. Nobody dies. Nobody. Are you hearing me? Nobody dies before their age. And up at this time, it was 120. At least. At least. And then above. Above. 120. Can you imagine seeing somebody walking around? How old are you? 117. Do you have any grandkids? Yeah, I got about 20 grandkids that have about 20 children each. And so do their kids. <laughs> but that was a promise. 
that was a promise of God. You see your children and your children's children. That was a promise of God. That's what he wanted to do. I mean, there's never been a earthly, there's never been a father in all the earth that has desired to do more for their kids than the earthly father has desired to do for you and for me. If we'll only let him. If we'll only let him be to us a father God that he wants to be. Oh, I'm telling you about a father that has all the resources to keep all those things that afflict and hurt and, and, and try to destroy our lives away from us. See, I don't have the ability to do that for my kids, but bless God, he's got the ability to do that for his kids. And I know how I would be willing to do it for my kids. And I thank God that I know he's willing to do that for us, his kids. Amen? Okay, notice the ifs, though. They're in the Bible. Go back to Deuteronomy and we'll just see it right there. I know we're taking a lot of time with this, but let's lay a foundation. Because we want to come at it from two points of view. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. And verse 12. We'll start with verse 12. Wherefore it shall come to pass. Now notice that if it doesn't come to pass... It's not because God didn't say He wanted to come to pass. But why didn't it come to pass? Because they didn't fulfill their part of the bargain. It shall come to pass if you... You know, I've told Lisa many times, I said, Lisa, if you go back out there and, uh, in the kitchen and help your mother do the dishes, or if you go up and sweep the floor, and, and if you go and do this, or if you go and do that, honey, I'll give you a dollar or two or whatever. You know? And she'll come running up and say, uh, Daddy, well, you know, where's my dollar? They say, well, honey, did you do what I asked you to do? Well, I didn't get finished yet. But I said, well, you know, can't get your dollar until you get finished. Didn't I say that if you would do what, whatever, whatsoever I said that you would get something? She said, sure, absolutely. So she went back and finished it and I gave it to her. Because she did what I asked her to do. Look what he said. Wherefore it shall come to pass if you hearken. To these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers and he will love thee. He didn't offer you a dollar. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? That statement right there should be a statement that make everybody stand up and shout. I will love you. That's all I had to hear. That's all I The Father of all glory, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ will love me. Do you know what it means to have the Father's love on you? Oh. I know what it means for my little kids to have my love on them. They get everything they want and then some. You can't tell me you guys don't do the same thing because I know you do. Right? Okay. Do you think that was built into us by some devil? That was built into you by the Father of spirits, the Father God. The reason why you want to live and help your kids and, and take care of your kids and, and see that your kids have more than you ever had is because you love them. What does it mean to have a father's love set on their children? And, and I'll tell you what, if any of you have never had a father's love set upon you, I, I mean to tell you right now, I just thank God for the Heavenly Father because there's no other way to explain a father's love. I thank God for the Heavenly Father. And I pray for you. Because I know what it means to have your father's love set upon you. Some don't, but praise God, I thank God that I, I do. And I know even more so now how it is to have the Heavenly Father's love on me. But that's what he said. I will love you. And multiply you. Notice he doesn't just love them. He'll bless them and multiply them. And he'll also bless the fruit of the womb and the fruit of thy land, your corn, your wine, your oil, the increase of your kind, the flocks of thy sheep, the land which he swore unto thy fathers to give you. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male nor female bearing among you or among your cattle, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness and, and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which you knew of upon you, and He'll lay them upon all those that hate you. I mean to tell you, blessed be God, can you see that kind of a, of a city in the world today? You talk about a utopia in the earth. Well, where are you going? I'm going to that love city. What city is that? Oh, that's where the Father God just pours out His blessings and His love upon His people. Can I get in? Yeah, just hearken diligently into the voice of the Lord your God. Just come on in. It's free for everyone. 
Well, see, his whole program, his whole design, ever since Adam left the Father's bosom, you don't think that that breach in the Spirit affected the Father God? I'll tell you how it affected the Father God. It affected Him so much that He sent Jesus the only way to get His man back to Him. That's the only way. You know, a breach is a divorce. You know, the first divorce took place in the Garden of Eden. Adam divorced the father. The father didn't divorce him. Adam divorced the father. And what it affected had in heaven. It stained even the heavenly utensils of worship. That's the effect it had in the heavenlies. And it so touched the father's heart. He had so much love. You know what I'm talking about if you love a, your husband or your wife with a love. I mean a love that's just an endless love. And he says, I'll go to any extreme to get my man back to me. And he leaned over and said, son, would you go? He said, yeah, Father, I'll do it. And you talk about a price. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there is any other way. You know what? This is, when, this is a time when God came up short. Are you hearing me? The Father came up short. There was no other way. He had God could not even invent, think of, create, make another way to save humanity. There was no other way. Do you think he'd have his son Jesus go to hell and burn in those flames of fire for you and for me if there was another way? He couldn't create one. There wasn't another way. And in that garden, Jesus said, Father, if there is, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, Father. I know there is no other way. That's how much the Father loved you and me that He said, even though that's the only way, I'm willing to do it. And that's what Paul meant when he wrote, wrote Romans 8.32 and said, By the Spirit of God, if He didn't spare His only Son for you, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with that Son freely give you all things? Now, when someone tells me there's another way to the Father, close your ears. There is no other way. Jesus was the way to save man, and Jesus is the only way to the Father. I am the way. There ain't nobody, no Buddha, who ever went to prepare a place for me. There ain't no Muhammad that ever went to prepare a place for me. There's no moon that ever went to prepare a place for me. There's only one Jesus of Nazareth that ever went to prepare a place for me. And he's coming again to receive me unto himself. That where he is, I may be also. Glory be to God. We can go right now. Hallelujah. Well, I, I think that we can safely say upon the evidence of the word that we've presented so far, that healing for the nation of Israel was contingent upon their obeying the laws, the statutes, and the commandments of the Lord their God. And if they did it, they were not only healed, but they were protected from sickness and disease. If they weren't protected from sickness and disease, it's because they were not keeping the covenant. There was only one time in the Jewish history that that was actually manifest. It's found in the 105th Psalm, verse 37. When they were delivered from the Egyptian bondage, there was not one feeble among their tribes. As a matter of fact, I liken that unto salvation. When someone first got saved, they first got delivered from satanic bondage, they was free, or they were healed, or they were delivered. But it seems like after they begin to wander in this little bit of an earthly wilderness... They, can't, they seem to murmur and complain and can't seem to get anything from God anymore. The Israelites, when they were first delivered, they walked, every one of them, over two million of them in divine health and were protected in the wilderness until they started to complain and to murmur because of that little bit of wilderness they had to walk through to get to the promised land. They, you know, that, that growth period, we'll say. Because of it, of their murmuring and their complaining, they couldn't find their way back to that first experience with God, that first deliverance. Can you imagine seeing a people, if you were the Egyptians, can you imagine seeing beggarly people? Can you imagine seeing lame people? Can you imagine seeing people that were blind and halt and maimed and, and just, you know, you used to, they're your slaves. I mean, you're the one that worked them half to death. And there they were just lying on the ground, most of them. Some of them you knew by name and just walked by them every day. And you saw they were a, 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 an ugly bunch of people, a people that were just, you know, decrepit and just, just many of them bowed over and sick and diseased. And all of a sudden, there's over two million of them now. And all of a sudden, they prepare themselves a little bit of a feast. And they get themselves together a lamb, and they kill the lambs and every 
20 of them sit down in the family, they sit down to eat this lamb, and they start going out and doing some kind of rituals, it seems like to you. They get a branch of hyssop and they dip it inside the, the basin of the blood, and they put it upon their doorposts and the lintels of their household, and you know, and then they take the lamb, and God has instructed them and said to them, you eat all the lamb, don't let any of that lamb, you burn it, you roast it, and then you eat all the lamb. And all of a sudden, there they are, they're eating all the lamb. Uh, you know, that, that he told them to eat. And that lamb is just typical of the lamb, the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of, our, of, of the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It's uh, the same thing that we take when we partake of communion, the bread that we partake of. And because they had the life, the flesh, the life of the Son of God supposedly in type and shadow inside of them, every single one of them, you begin to see their arms straighten out. You begin to see their legs straighten out. You begin to see their eyes pop open. You begin to hear their ears pop open. And the lame begin to walk. The blind begin to see. And they just begin to run, just get themselves all together and just run right on through the city. Can you imagine the eyes of the Egyptians when they saw this kind of working of the Almighty God? You've got to realize something. This was, there were ten plagues. And every one of those plagues defied the gods of Egypt. One after another cut down every single god of the Egyptians. Right out from under their feet. And the last plague, when the firstborn died, was a symbol uh, to all the Egyptians that all the gods that they trusted in were all defeated and there was no God to protect them or to save them. And then the power of God came down out of heaven, healed all of the Israelites, and he says, I am the Lord God that healeth thee. And every one of them just lifted up and just ran out to the wilderness. And all the Egyptians says, take my money, take everything that I've got, just get out of here, bless God. That's exactly what took place. That's exactly what happened. Now, can you see, beloved, on the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, and the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, quickened inside you the life of God, that you weren't delivered from a bunch of Egyptians, but you were delivered, blessed God, from Satan, principalities, powers, groups of the this world and spiritual wickedness, high places, and all the cause and the, of sickness and disease and all the power of darkness that's all around us. You and I made a break from all these powers of darkness and bless God when the life of God came into us. We were delivered spirit, we were delivered soul, and we were delivered body and the glory and the power of God through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ has set us free. Woo, glory. Not from Egyptians, but from these demon forces. And from those germs that even exist. That's why we got a better covenant established upon better promises. What could have been better than those promises? Other than that the, the, that the life that was going to protect them be imparted to you. And you're no longer subject to those things anymore. <laughs> you're delivered from the cause of those things right now. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I am excited. I want to show you something. I, I mentioned the law of Bible interpretation. And let me just, before we get over, we should have time to get over to some of these other areas. Look at Numbers 21 and 1 Corinthians 10. You mark them. But hold them. Find those places and look at Numbers first. And let me clarify before I go on because I said I would. That the, the law of Bible interpretation says that you interpret the old in light of the new. And I'm going to show you why. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, if we have more light of God's knowledge in the New Testament... And what he says in the New Testament has a little bit of confliction with what the Old Testament says. Then we have to realize that since God does not lie and he doesn't change, then there has to be a reason or an answer through the word why they contradict one another. And you'll begin to see when you begin to understand Bible interpretation... That this progressive revelation came, you know, through God revealing Himself year after year after year after year through the covenants and through the, through the law, and finally then through Jesus Christ. And Jesus knew more about the Father than any man on the earth. Jesus knew more about the Father than any man that had revelation on the earth. Because Jesus came from the bosom of the Father. And if Jesus says it, 
that is so. I don't care how many writers in the Old Testament have said this or been interpreted as the saying this. I, I have to know inside my spirit that Jesus knew more about the Father. And he said that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, not the Father. Now let's look at this cha- 21 cha- chapter 21. Let's begin with verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea and comp- to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God. Now notice this. It did not say in Exodus, the 23rd and the, and the 15th chapter, If thou shalt speak against God, I'll protect you from sickness and disease. Did it? It says, And against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? He didn't say that when that, you know, he made that covenant, that I would be the Lord God that will let you die in the wilderness. He didn't say that. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth in this, this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents. See, the Lord didn't send that. It says, it says the Lord sent it. But I'm going to show you in the New Testament that it clearly states who did it. Because they disobeyed God. Again, it's in the, it's in the causative when it should have been in the permissive. Because they broke the covenant and broke the law, and because the curse was already out there, and because all the, all the serpents were out there in the wilderness anyhow... And because they would have attacked them already, if it wasn't for the protection of God from those serpents. Now hear me. He was protecting them from these serpents all along. He knew they were out there. They were out in the wilderness. He knew that there was beasts and, and animals and those snakes and whatever that could kill them out there. But up until this point, when they weren't murmuring, he was protecting them. Now, here it makes God the cause that, that sent them to, to, to bite the people. Okay, he sent fire serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Notice that we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it up on a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. Now. It happened and they were delivered. God provided deliverance even though they sinned. But they had to repent before they can get deliverance. Go to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Again, to confirm this law of interpretation. It'll settle in the hearts of many that God does not, is not the agency behind sickness and disease. He's not the one that's causing calamity and persecution of, of, of these things coming upon a person's life. Again... In chapter 10, Paul is reiterating this event, what took place. And said that these things took place for an example for you and for me. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses and in the cloud and also in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. And, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. What pleases God? Faith. He was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. See, that's breaking the law of God. And fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed. Listen, of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of who? Who? Not God. No, the serpents killed them, but they were destroyed of the destroyer. Well, listen to me. Here's the reason why we have a better covenant. The Father can only protect them from without. He had no way to protect them from within. They were unregenerate. They were not born again. Spiritually dead. He could not protect them. His only way of protecting was from without if they would obey His voice. The moment they didn't obey His voice, the moment He could not protect Him, and you better believe it hurt Him not to protect them. Because the moment His grace was lifted or suspended, I like to say it that way, the suspension of God's grace. If His grace was not there, which it has no legal right to be unless there's obedience to Him, because this is Satan's domain at that time, then they would have already been destroyed by the serpents in the wilderness. 
But since they were obeying his covenant, he had a legal way to protect them in the wilderness. But when they sinned and murmured and complained against him and Moses in the wilderness, there was a suspension of God's grace. He could not fulfill his covenant with them because they broke it. Then they were destroyed of the serpents. What was their reaction? They had to repent. They had to pray. And then they had to have a sacrifice provided. And when all was done and obedience came, came again, what happened to them? They were delivered and healed. So healing was contingent upon their being obedient to the word spoken to them. Okay. Now, the reason why you and I have a better covenant established upon better promises is really found in Romans 5. You don't have to turn to it. You can if you want to. But what he could not do for them or what he was limited in doing for them. Let me say it like this. The Father, in his effort to bless humanity, was limited, but it was being more revealed to man as he received this pro progressive revelation. There were some things that the Old Testament saints could not attain, but they believed by faith that you and I have obtained. They died without the promises. But the promises to them was in the future because they lived before Christ. They could not obtain salvation through regeneration, the new birth, because Christ didn't die yet for their sins and was raised up from the dead. And the Spirit of God given. You understand what I'm saying? So they could believe to be saved and, and have eternal life, have a promissory note, but they could not have the full blessings of God in their lives that, in that way, in that capacity. And so we find out that when Jesus came, man was even blessed greater by the presence of the Son of God in the earth. Okay? So the Father was trying to bless humanity right on down through the generations as much as man would allow Him. But He was only allowed to go so far under the Old Covenant. Now the book of Romans, the fifth chapter, is noted for this saying, much more, much more, much more, much more, much more, much more. Okay, look at the fifth chapter. I'll read you just a couple of the much mores. Hallelujah. I love these much mores. <laughs> now, fifth chapter, verse six. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Hallelujah. Much more than they were saved, much more we shall be saved. See, that's better. Okay? Much more than He says. Okay, as you go on down here and read the rest of it, you'll find out in verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which have received. Much more can God do for you and for me because we have received. Much more, you see, He can do for us. Through the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall we reign in life. Much more than what death reigned back then. And much more what God was able to bless them back then. Much more is he, be, is he able to bless us. And much more are we able to reign in this life through Jesus Christ. Because back then they was in the world and of the world. But hallelujah. You and I are in the world, but we're not of the world. Satan's dominion over us has been lost. Christ is Lord over our lives. Now, that's why we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Because he's able to do much more, much more for you and me. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. We ever get a revelation of who we are in Christ? We ever get a revelation of what he did when he raised up Jesus from the dead? Let me show you why he's able to do much more. When Jesus died upon Calvary's cross and Satan saw that something was going on that he didn't know, the only way he could possibly secure the authority he received when Adam sinned and committed high treason and turned all the, all the authority in the earth over to him would be by the means of death and keeping the Lord Jesus Christ in the pit by all his forces. 
And when he saw that Jesus came there, knowing that how can a righteous man come in the, in, in the hell, I'm being baffled about the, you know, the presence of Christ in the pit. They just began to do some kind of you know, confusion, mass confusion took place, and he got all his cohorts. He got all, every available, I believe everyone, not every available one, everyone, every demon, every spirit, every ruler, every prince. This was, I mean, a time of chaos. It was a time of trouble. The alarms sounded. We got to hold that guy right there in this pit. We got to keep him down here. We can't let him go. And every single one of them just got a hold of him. They compassed him round about. They put all the pressure they could. They wanted to hold the beloved Son of God in that pit. And the Bible says in Ephesians, the second chapter, that this was the greatest working of the mighty power of God. There was a power that was flowing from the bosom of the Father that Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.